Well, first of all, surprise. (laughs) It's me. You know, if you, uh, if you have your bulletin, you look on the front of it, you'll see a statement. It says, we exist to see God's name become great among all nations, beginning with our neighbors. Does it seem to you as though we are living that out in the life of our church right now? And, you know, there, we could do that probably to varying uh, degrees. The one question we ought to ask is, you know, how can we do that better? How can we be more effective at that? And we're going to look today at Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at these 11 verses, powerful verses. And as we look to Acts, Acts is the story of the church. More accurately, it's the story of Jesus building his church. In, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And that's a marvelous and enduring promise that you and I, as God's people, ought to keep in mind. And Jesus and his disciples traveled to Caesarea Philippi. And they probably sat down by these pools to refresh themselves after their journey. And in verse 13, Jesus asks his disciples, he says, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And and they say to him, verse 14, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he asked him, he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now what makes that statement so powerful is that as Jesus and his disciples are sitting there at Caesarea, the backdrop here is this massive stone mountain. And at the base of this mountain was a cave. And originally, Caesarea Philippi was called Panis because it was named after the Greek god Pan. And according to their uh, uh, legend, uh, this was the birthplace of this Greek god. He was born there. And it was believed that this hole that goes down into the heart of the earth was the entrance to Hades, to to the place of death, to the realm of death. And it's an amazing thing here. And so when Jesus says, you are Peter. And by the way, if you were to look just to your right of that cave, what you'd see is the ruins of the temple of Pan. This, is, this was a temple that was built to honor him 
and to uh, exalt him. And then when Jesus says to Peter, you are, he says, Petros, a small stone, and upon this rock, Petra, massive rock, I will build my church. Jesus says, I am going to build the, the, my church. And so you get the picture here? Here's this, this backdrop. This, here's Peter sitting here, this tiny little pebble, insignificant against this huge rock face. And Jesus says, even though you are a tiny pebble, there is a rock that is even greater than this massive stone, and it is the rock, it's the foundation upon which I am going to build my church, and it's me. See, what can Peter do to have an, uh, an impact upon a place, a mountain, uh, overshadowing the gates of Hades, which for centuries has swallowed up every soul who has come into the world? What can this insignificant pebble do to have an impact on the seemingly omnipotent power of death swallowing up and destroying humanity? Well, the answer is obviously nothing. But Jesus says, you know, there's, a, there's another rock. There's a greater rock. It's the, gra- it's the rock upon which I will build my church and it will prevail. Now, the, the gates of Hades are often interpreted as the forces of Satan attacking the church of Jesus Christ. And the, the, but, but understand, gates are not weapons of warfare. Their purpose is not to conquer, but to keep those who are behind them from being conquered. Or in the case of a prison... The purpose is to hold people in, to keep them contained, keep them from escaping. Hades is the abode of the dead. It was the place where the dead are held captive. And like death is like Alcatraz, a dark prison from whose walls no one has ever scaled, no one has ever escaped. And every person in this world is doomed to be swallowed up by death and darkness, never to be emerged again. But you see, Jesus went to the cross, and there on that cross, he suffered and he died in our place. Then he was buried, and then he rose again the third day. He overcame the realm of death. No one had ever before broken the chains of death. Jesus was the first to do that. Jesus is the one who is victorious over sin and death. And Jesus says, it's that truth which I am going to build my church on. This is going to be the foundation. This is going to be the cornerstone of eternal salvation. The gates of hell could not hold him in, and the gates of hell could not keep him out. Isn't it wonderful to know? Yes, it is. See, death has no power over God's people to hold them captive because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross. Its gates are not strong enough to keep Jesus Christ from entering those gates. The artist, the sculptor, Rodin, 
pictured uh, uh, the gates of hell like this. He was influenced by Dante's Inferno, and he came up with this sculpture. But can I tell you that the gates of Hades don't look like a cave in Palestine, and they don't look like a sculpture in the Museum of Paris. Do you know what the gates of Hades look like? They often look like ideologies. Ideologies so vast that they cast their shadow across entire nations, such as communist China or Muslim nations. And those, that, that ideology, it swallows up, it imprisons, it holds in darkness countless souls forever. The gates of Hades may stand in front of a, an educational institution or a Hollywood studio or the entrance to a subdivision. Sometimes they, they come in the form of, of an addiction. Alcohol, drugs, pornography, materialism. Sometimes those gates look like a television or a computer screen or an algorithm that carefully censors everything that people see and hear. But you know what Jesus said? Jesus says all those barriers, as great, as imposing as they are, I can get through them. They can't keep me out. They couldn't hold me in, and they can't keep me out. And then Jesus, then Jesus says to Peter and his disciples, and he says to us, you have a part in this. You see, you will do in a small way what I have done in a great way. I will use you to build my church. It's your understanding of who I am, of what I have accomplished, of my resurrection, of my power, of my grace. It's your understanding of who I am that is presented, proclaimed to the world that will be able to liberate other people from the bondage that holds them. You shall prevail. And you see, that means that as disciples of Jesus Christ, you and I can breach the gates of Hades with the declaration of Christ's liberation. Only the gospel, only the gospel can penetrate those gates. That's, that truth can do what no one else can do. And Jesus says that he is going to build his church on that proclamation, on that understanding. That's the message that you and I have for the world around here. If we look around this neighborhood, you know what? There are an incredible number of the gates of hell stand everywhere. Everywhere we look, they stand even at individual hearts. Cold, keeping people out, keeping the light out. And today I, I want you to see indeed that this is a part of Christ building his, his church. So look with me to Acts chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. And here we read these words. The first account I composed, Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven and after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of things concerning the kingdom of God and gathering them together 
He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when he had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed in his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, as he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you look standing into the, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And this is the word of God. Let's ask his blessing upon it. Our Father, we do come to you now. We ask your Holy Spirit upon this place, upon our minds, upon our hearts, we ask you to direct us and help us to understand. We pray you would give us oneness of heart and mind as we look at, the, at your word. And Lord, may it have your intended purpose this day. May you draw your people closer to you. May you draw those who are far from you closer to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the book of Acts continues the story of Jesus after he had risen from the dead and ascended to heaven. And it's a continuation of Jesus building his church as he promised that he would. And he, show, he shows us that he uses us in that process. I want you to see four reasons why we shall prevail as we engage with Jesus as he builds his church. First of all, we shall prevail because of the reality of Christ's resurrection. And it tells us there in verse 3, to, to these, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now you get the picture. He presented himself alive to the disciples. That is, after he had suffered going to the cross and had been buried, Jesus presents himself alive. What an amazing reality that comes to them. He's alive, and they, they gaze on his face. They hear his voice. They have the opportunity to reach out and, and touch him and know that he's real, that he's not a ghost, that he's not an apparition, that he is real. He's alive. And this is an overwhelming. It says, he presented himself alive by many convincing proofs. The King James says infallible proofs. Now, it's interesting because this is just one word in the Greek. But it's such a powerful word that it takes a, an extra word in English to kind of communicate it. A, a, a convincing proofs or infallible proofs. It's also an interesting word because this is the only place in the entire New Testament where this word is used. <clears throat> and it is a word that for proof of the resurrection. Uh, this word is um, not only used once in the New Testament, it's used many times in secular Greek. 
For example, Aristotle used this word to talk about something that was inescapably true. There was a, a medical writer by the name of Galen who used this word to talk about something that proves something beyond any doubt whatsoever. Both Aristotle and Galen used this word to distinguish between a proof and a sign. You know there's a difference between a proof and a sign? For example, if you begin to have chest pains, then it's, it's a sign that you could be having a heart attack. But it's not proof, because there are other things that could cause you to have chest pains. I mean, maybe you ate too much pizza before you went to bed. Uh, it could be that uh, you were working in the yard, you were playing sports, or you have some kind of infection. There are the other things that can cause chest pains. It's a sign. And of course, if you have uh, chest pains and it continues, you ought to have that checked out. But it's not proof that you're having a heart attack. But now, if you continue to have those pains and you go to the hospital, they can give you a test. They can check, they can draw your blood, check your enzymes, and there's a certain enzyme. If they find that enzyme in your blood, then it's an indicator that your heart muscle has been damaged. It's, it's considered proof that you've had a heart attack. It's different from a sign, it's, it's proof. And you see, the empty tomb was a sign. When the disciples went there afterwards, they found it empty. I've been to the empty tomb. You know, it's still empty, but it's a sign. And then uh, the disciples went to that tomb, and, but, but when they told the other people that it was empty, they said, well, there could be other reasons why Jesus is not there. But when Jesus presented himself alive, and they saw him personally, it was proof beyond any doubt that he is alive. Jesus has been risen from the dead. And isn't it fitting that Luke, this medical doctor, would talk about something that in medical language that was proof beyond doubt. Jesus presented himself alive with many convincing proofs. And this happened not just one time, it happened over a period of 40 days. And it tells us that Jesus was teaching his disciples uh, things concerning the kingdom of God. And when they realized that their Lord and Savior had risen beyond any doubt, these men who had been terrified, who were behind closed doors, trembling in their boots as it were, all of a sudden now they have a whole different perspective. They look out at the world and they say, we can go, we can leave these gates the gates of Hades that stand in front of us. We can walk through those doors. We can go out there and we can declare the reality of Christ's resurrection. We have the proof of that. We are witnesses of this reality. See, the, 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 the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the biggest deal in the universe. What, is it, what does the resurrection prove? Well, it, it proves that Jesus is God. Remember, Jesus said the biggest way he would show that he is God is that he would raise from the dead. When he raised from the dead, it proves he's God. And we can trust what Jesus says. If he's really God, then everything he says is, is true. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said the scriptures are true. He said Adam and Eve were real people in the Garden of Eden. He said that, uh, uh, that uh, there was a worldwide flood. He said that, 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 uh, that, that Jonah was a literal man who got swallowed by a literal fish and found himself in a literal mess. 
Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other way to the Father but through me. Everything that Jesus says, and you know what it means? It means that you and I, we can, we can believe, we can trust the, the Bible that we hold in our hands. It also tells us that the church will prevail. Not even death, which caused sin, or, or, or sin and death, which caused death, can keep Jesus Christ from kicking down the gates of Hades. It can't hold him out. Death can't hold Jesus out. Sin can't hold Jesus out. There's nothing there that can hold Jesus out. And you see, Jesus, you and I are with Jesus. We are one with Jesus and, Jesus, and we go with Jesus through the gates of hell into the darkness, into the realms of death, where we take the truth of the gospel to, the, to people around us that need to hear it, and they can be liberated, they can be brought out of the gates of death. Jesus, look, you know what he's done? He has invaded the strongholds of communism. He has invaded the, the strongholds of Islam. He's invaded bars and brothels and casinos and Hollywood and corporate America and educational institutions and the busyness of families and stone-cold hearts. Jesus has invaded all kinds of places and he has pulled them out of those places. We are the evidence of that. Do you remember when God came to the to you and the gates of Hades stood in front of you, what did God have to do to bring you out of that? You see, this is what he calls us to be a part of. He calls us to be a part of going into these dangerous and dark places to seek people. But we shall prevail because of the presence of Christ's Spirit. Look at verse 4. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you have heard from, from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, Jesus proved that he was who he was, who he said he was. He proved that he was alive. And then he tells them, you wait, because I want you to wait here in Jerusalem because you're going to receive something. You're going to receive the, the Holy Spirit. And the Father had promised that he would send his Spirit. And then Jesus had promised to his disciples that he was going to give them his Holy Spirit. And so Jesus says, you've got to wait until you receive that power, because apart from that power, you cannot do what I'm going to ask you to do. You need the Holy Spirit. And sure enough, not many days later, on the day of Pentecost, the, the Holy Spirit fell on the church of God and where these believers were gathered. And we call that the birthday of the church when the Holy Spirit fell on believers. And ever since then, every person who puts their trust in Jesus Christ receives the presence of Christ through His Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. You have His power in your own life. You are able to participate with Jesus in his kingdom work. And when you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior and that the Holy Spirit is abiding within you, then you have a new boldness, a new courage to do things that you would never have done before. Jesus said, uh, John baptized with water, 
but you are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be baptized with the, with the Holy Spirit? Well, that's pictured for us through water baptism. And the analogy that Jesus gives is, is baptism. Baptism means to, uh, to dip, to dump, to plunge. It means to immerse. And you see, this is what he's talking about. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we are immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Just like when someone is baptized. They are immersed completely in that water, surrounded in every way by that water. And when they come up out, it's a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have been immersed in his Holy Spirit. And, and by the way, if you haven't been baptized uh, by immersion, then you haven't been baptized scripturally. That's something that you need to do. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit means that we're completely controlled by the Holy Spirit. You know, in the Old Testament, it's a little different. The Holy Spirit came upon people temporarily to empower them to do particular works. Uh, Acts uh, chapter uh, uh, 2 and verse 16 says, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel, and it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my Spirit on all mankind. He pours out His Spirit upon us, And he calls us to be filled with the Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit. Now just think of a little boy or a little girl trying to hit a ball for the first time. They may have one of those big plastic bats, you know, the oversized things. And somebody may be pitching them a, a pitch underhanded, or they may have it on a tee, but they don't know how to hit that ball. So what happens? Mom or dad come over and they just kind of wrap themselves around them, they put their hands on their hands on the bat, and they bring it back, and they say, now watch the ball. And they say, swing now. And the mom and dad, they direct that bat, they swing it around, they give the direction, and that hits that ball, and it goes out there in the yard, and that little uh, gal or guy just smiles, because it's like, boy, look how I hit that ball. That's the way it is with the Holy Spirit. Anything that we do in this world, it's really through the power of Holy, the Holy Spirit who lives within us. We can't do anything without Him. He's our helper. He's the one that accomplishes all of this. And apart from Him, we can do nothing. But here's what He says. Well, we're going to prevail because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to pr- prevail because we have the authority of Christ's message. In verse 6, He says this. So when they had come together... They were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Now, that's a logical question, because what were they looking for? They were looking for a Messiah who would come and restore the power of Israel, the the prominence of Israel, as in the days of David. They were looking for someone to throw off the shackles of, of the Rome and to restore the prosperity and peace of their nation. And they thought, well, this must be the time. Here's Jesus. He's come. He's the Messiah. He's proven that he has power over death. Are you going to do it to this time in, in, in life? And Jesus says to them in verse 7, he says, it's not for you to know the times. That is the, that's the word chronos, the, the, the time on the clock or the time on the calendar. Nor is it time for you to know the epochs. That is the seasons or, or the circumstances which the Father has fixed in his own authority. So in other words, he says, I've got something better for you. Uh, he says, 
but you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. When, he has, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Henry Ford, the inventor of the horseless carriage, is reported to have said, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have asked for faster horses. What's the point? Because people ask for what they know, what they already know about. They, they want the nation to be of Israel to be better. But you know what Jesus is saying? I've got something better. We're not just going to fix the nation. We're going to turn the world upside down. We're going to do something far more than what we had, you had ever imagined. You see, Jesus says, you're going to receive power so that you can be my witnesses. What's a witness? A witness is someone who, who shares what they have seen and heard and experienced. Jesus didn't say you're, just, you're going to be expert testifiers. He says, you don't have to go to a seminary to get a degree to tell people about me. If you know Jesus, if you experienced his liberation in your life, then you can tell other people how to be saved. It's that simple. You shall be my witnesses. You can tell what you have seen, what you have heard, what you have experienced, what Jesus has done in your life. And if you know Jesus, friend, you can tell people all about that. Jesus says that you've received the Holy Spirit. And you're going to begin, really, he says, you're going to begin with your neighbor. You're going to begin right there in Jerusalem with your neighbor. And then you're going to go to Judea and Samaria and then to the other most parts of the earth. We get our learning, we get our, our foundation by going to the people that we know right before us, our own family, our own pe the people around us, the people we work with, the people we go to school with. That's where it all begins. And says, we're going we're gonna to do incredible things because of the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's a question, the question. What stands in our way? What keeps us from fully fulfilling this statement that we have on the front of our bulletin? The gates of hell? Remember what they look like? They look like ideologies, philosophies, false religion, political correctness, propaganda, censorship, addictions, self-righteousness, selfishness, sin of every sort. Those are the things that stand in the way, that, that keep people in bondage, that, that keep the light out. But here's the truth. You and I have begun all the resources to be able to go through those gates and to reach people with what they need. We know the reality of resurrection. We know that God can go through there. We know that Jesus can go through and give people a whole new life. He can give them eternal life. We know that. We have the power of the Holy Spirit upon us. We have the authority of His Word. We have what we need to do that. You know, after I became a believer, I was almost immediately faced with the gates of Hades in my own family. 
My father was an alcoholic. It was an imposing, intimidating gate that I had no concept of how to breach. My dad and I had a horrible relationship. If I were honest, I'd say I hated him. And I had no way of breaching that, that incredible gate. But you know, when God brought me out from behind that gate and gave me life, I began to look at life differently. I began to see my dad was behind that gate. And I began to pray and ask God what I could do. And I became very intentional. I, I prayed for him every day. Sometimes more than once. I, I, I told him I loved him. I shared my testimony. I talked to him about things I were le was learning in the Bible. I sent him tapes, preaching tapes. I sent him books. I called him every week, and I would, as best as I could, I would just get that gospel in there. You know what? It, it, it was an imposing, I felt so powerless. Felt like nothing was happening. And it took about five, almost six years. And Jesus went and kicked down the gates of hell and brought my father out and changed him. He became a whole new person. And my dad and I became the closest of friends and co-ministers in this world. You know, there was something in me that almost went like, well, look what I did. <laughs> but then I remembered Oh, it was God just surrounded me. He put, my hand, he put his hands on my hands and everything that was done, he did through me. And friends, can I tell you that we need to find ways, by God's grace, to go through the, the gates of Hades all around us. Things like prayer, kindness, friendship, testimonies, events, invitations, gospel conversations. See, God will use all of those things and he will, we will get through those gates and then behind those gates we have this incredible thing, the reality of the resurrection, the presence of his spirit, the authority of his word and his power to accomplish these things. We can do that. We can do that. But we must be intentional. We must be very intentional that everything that we're going to do, some way, somehow, funnels into this reality. We are about going into the gates of Hades. The last, I'm just giving it to you, or you can write it down. Because what he tells us is that Jesus Christ is coming again. And you know what? When he comes, he's going to establish his kingdom. And we shall prevail. We shall prevail. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so amazed at you that the gates of hell cannot prevail against you and your power as powerful and terrible and intimidating as they can be. And we thank you, God, for bringing us out of their power and allowing us to be a part 
of your building your church. And I want to ask you, God, that you would help us as Five Forks Baptist Church in the days ahead, Lord, to be more specifically engaged in reaching this community imprisoned by sin and death. Help us, God. We ask you to give us fruit. Give us victory. Help us to prevail. And may you be honored and glorified in it. And while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want you to think about this. Now, regardless of whatever happens today with vote, could you just say to God in your own heart, God, I really want to be a part of building your church. You've given me all the resources to do that. Lord, I want to see the, the wonder and the joy of you working in my life and in my church. I just want to make that commitment to be a part of that as it unfolds and develops in the days ahead. Lord, I want to be a part of that. And I want it to please you. I want you to be first in my life. And perhaps you have never really come into the kingdom yourself. But today you've heard that Jesus can. He can bring you out of the realm of death, out of bondage. He can give you life eternal. He will fill you with his Holy Spirit and give you a whole new perspective make you a part of his kingdom. And if you'll call on him and just say, Jesus, save me, he will do that. He promises that. Father, help us now as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. We are going to have an invitation this morning. And I want you to be able to, to, to respond to the Lord in this time. You'd like to commit your heart to following Jesus in this regard, please feel free to come this morning. If you'd like to come and be a part of the family of God, what's going to happen here in, in the future, you come. Uh, we invite you to respond to whatever it is that God's working in your heart.